All right. You guys ready? Yeah. All right. Proverbs 29, 18. You guys want to turn there. You guys probably have all read this. It's one of those scriptures that people use when they're trying to get a point across, and that's what I'm going to do today. So we're going <laughs> to... <laughs> I got three laughs out of it. We're gonna, we'll try... No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to try that again. <sighs> so I'm reading from the ESV. Proverbs 29, 18 says, Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. So we're talking Old Testament here. You know, Jesus said, yeah, I have not come to abolish the law. What did he say? I've come to what? Fulfill the law. Fulfilling and abolishing are completely separate. Abolishing means I'm just getting rid of it. Fulfilling means I've come to make it complete. Abolishing says we can't live up to this. We can't do anything. I can never be good enough for this. We're just going to get rid of it. But Jesus says, I've come to complete the law. I've come to finish it. I've come to bring a completion to it so we don't have to live under that. But I love what this scripture says, and, and this is a very common scripture that a lot of people use for different topics and different things like that, but it says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraints. And I'm going to read another scripture, and then I'll get back to that. And then Habakkuk 2, two through 3 says, And the Lord answered, said, Write the vision and make it plain on the tablet, so he may run with who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time, and it hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So, so it says write the vision down. Make it clear. Some translations say write it down on a clay tablet. And I think um, so many times in, in our lives, um, we get... Um, we get going with our life, and, w- and then we, something happens, and we lose sight of where we're going. So what God wants us to do is have a vision. And he, in some translations, says write it down on a clay tablet. Some say etch it in stone, depending on what translation. But I think so many times we get going in life. You know, I, I, Sarah and I can both, she'll agree to this. When we got married, we had no vision for our life. We just... We just had, we got married. This is what we wanted to do. We had vision, but it wasn't like, this is the clear, concise plan of where God has taken us. It was like, we love each other, we're getting married. And then it was like, oh, okay, now what? You know, it, it, <laughs> how many of you guys have been there? You know, like, oh, it, there's, there's a vision, you want a house and stuff like that. But there wasn't a clear, concise vision of, this is how we want to live our life. This is how we want to, we didn't have the, set the standards that we had uh, 20 years ago. We didn't set standards that we had 10 years after. So, we had to, to get a vision of what we wanted for our family, for our marriage, for, you know, whatever we were going through. And so we had to, to, to say, we, we didn't come and get a hammer and chisel and get a stone and ch- start chipping away and say, this is what we want. But I think with a vision, you have to start chipping away at things. You know, you have to get that stone out, and you have to start to chip away at the things that, that, that are keeping you from that vision. And so, but where in Proverbs says where there's no prophetic vision, where there is no future vision, because the prophetic is what? It is just calling out what is going to happen. Without a future vision, people cast off restraint. And what does that mean? It means they go crazy. They have nothing to guide them and, and, and keep a boundary in their lives. So they just go wild and do everything. That, the, not having a vision 
when you cast off restraint. Restraint means that you have some restraint. You know, like Paul says, you can do anything you want, but it's not always beneficial. Remember, right? You guys ever done anything you wanted to do, and then you realize, yeah, that really wasn't beneficial for me, really, and I put myself back a ways, or I got hurt, or whatever. So we can do whatever we want, but not everything is going to be in the vision that God has created for us. See, what happens is this. God has a vision for our life. He has a plan, a purpose, a calling on of us, and the vision is what we have to gather to align ourselves with those things. The calling, the plans, the purposes that God has us. That vision has to come from God, and it has to line up, so we have to under, be able to see and hear what he is saying to us. You guys ever had that problem, not being able to understand what God is trying to tell you? Have those moments where it's like, I don't know if I should do this or if I should do this or I should do this. We've all had those moments. You make a decision, you're like, yeah, that wasn't God in that moment. But God doesn't say, oh, you, you missed it. You gotta He's like, you know what? Let's redirect. Let's get back on the plan. Let's get back on. You, you still have a calling. You still have a purpose. You still have a destiny. He says, let's, re, let's move back into the lane. And so I think when we look at vision, vision helps keep us in, the, in, a, in a lane. What did Jesus say? He goes, there's a wide path and there's a narrow path. The wide path leads to what? Destruction. You guys should have answered that. You guys are slow today. Kind of got to keep on me. Um, and then the narrow path, but it's a hard path to, to walk. The wide path, it's easy because you can just, you know, you guys ever been tired and you're just kind of like, you're driving home and you're just like, yep, I'm going to change lanes because I'm, I'm leaning this way. And then you got to change lanes because you're kind of tired. I, I've been that. I've, I've done that. When I was younger, I was like, I got to pull over. I'm just like, I'm starting to go into the other lane and I'd go back to the other lane. You know, I'd be, I'd go over to this lane because I'm, I'm weaving over there anyway. I'll stay in this for a while. And then you go back. I'm like, okay, I got to stop. So that wide path is easy because there's a lot of room to move. And it gives you freedom to do whatever you want. But the narrow path doesn't give you a lot of room to move. But it gives you freedom. Both of them give you freedom. One of them gives you a freedom to do whatever you want. The other one gives you freedom. How many of you guys know there's, there's a difference in that? The freedom that God gives us is completely different than the freedom that we have on the, on the wide path. The wide path says, do whatever you want. And you're still on the path. The narrow path says, you know what? It may not be beneficial, and you, you may have missed it, but you still have freedom to continue on that path. You're not disqualified from that. And so we have to have a vision for what we do in our lives. What, what is the vision for your marriage, your family? You know, I didn't, like, just, we didn't just have kids and say, well, we hope we raise them right, and um, we'll just throw food at them, and we just hope that they... They, they're adults for crying out loud. They'll raise themselves, you know. It's, we, you don't do that with your kids. What do you do? You take steps with them because here's what the funny thing is, is most parents don't realize is when they have kids, you're actually growing up while they're growing up. Yes. Come on, you guys know that's true. You're growing up while they're growing up because you, what's happening is this. At 20 years old, you ain't mature. You can, you can, you can, you can buy things. You can, you have your license. You can vote, whatever. But you're not mature. And what happens is, is with vision, you're like, okay, how do I want to raise my kids? So what it does is it brings you into the path of how you're going to raise your kids, how you're going to live your life. And it says, oh, by the way, you're going to raise your kids, so you have to get in that lane too. You don't just sit in the other lane and like, here, here's food. 
go uh, catch me when you're 20 or when you graduate and I'll, I'll, I'll take care of you. You know, you, you get in that lane with them. You ride in that vehicle with them because what happened is this, you're trying to mature them, but while you're in that vehicle with them, you're maturing to mature them. You don't put your kid in the driver's seat and you sit in the back seat when they're born and go, okay, let's go take a trip. Everybody's going to die. <laughs> put it in, I, I, you know, here you go. I just put it in drive for you. Take over. Jordan doesn't put James in the driver's seat. Please don't. Uh, James would be like, that's the stupidest thing you ever did. <laughs> but um, you don't put a, 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 a newborn in a driver's seat and expect to go somewhere. You put the newborn in the back seat and you take it where it's supposed to go. It's the same way with discipleship. You don't put someone who's just born again and say, oh, by the way, here you go. You get to lead the church. By the end of the service, everybody's dropping the F-bomb and, you know, and nobody knows what's going on. But what you do is you put them in the back seat and you go along that journey with them. Our, our children, we go along that journey with them and we're learning as we progress. When you're 20 and you have a kid, you don't know what you know when you're 35 and have a kid. And so as we have vision for our life, we need to have vision for every area. It's the same way with church. We have to have a vision for what God is doing in our lives. And so we look at it and say, okay, what is the vision that God has for me? Yes, I attend church, but what's beyond that point? Like, we can all attend church, and that's great. We, we all need to go to church. Um, I saw this really um, funny thing, and I'll see if I can find it real quick. It was, it was hilarious. I don't know if I posted it on Facebook or not, but... Um, oh, here it is. See, yes, God is everywhere, but doesn't justify you not going to church. It's like you saying you love somebody, but never going to spend time with them in person. They know you love them, but they want to spend quality time with that person. Go to church. Think about it. You're not going to get what you want out of church unless you have a vision for it. You have to be, you're never going to get your, uh, you're never going to have a, a true vision for your life with God unless you start to become part of the church. And we, we have to become part of the church, and then God has to say, okay, now you're part of it. What do we do? And that's everybody. Everybody has a purpose and a calling in the, in the place that they worship. It, it doesn't, it's not like, well, I just attend and I help out. No, well, what, what vision do you have for what God is doing in that, in that moment or in that season that you're in? And that may change. God may have a vision for your, your life in, in the body to do this for a while, and then it might be something else for a while. But you have to have that, and you have to seek that out. I think so many times we as Christians spend a lot of time going to church, but we don't have um, eyes to see what's going on. Vision takes vision. You have to be able to see what God is doing in order to catch the vision. Am I right? You have to be able to know what God is doing to be able to understand what God is doing. You can't understand unless you know. And so what happens is we have to see what God is doing, understand what God is doing, and then we can know what God is doing. And how do, when once we know what God is doing, how do we attach ourselves to that vehicle? How do we get in that vehicle and say, I'm going to sit in the back seat until I'm ready to drive? So we look at it and say, okay, I'm, I'm part of the, I'm, baby, baby handoffs. Yeah. 
So we have to have some kind of vision for what we're going to be. You may serve in children's church or tech or hospitality or what tear, tear down, set up, whatever it is, but there has to be a vision for it. Can't it just be like, well, this is what I'm going to do. Well, what, what is God telling you to do in that? What, what is God asking you to, to do in, in, a, in a better way or uh, idea-wise? Or what is God asking you to do? What kind of vision do you have to, to, in the areas that you have in your life? So for the body, what do you have? If you're in charge of something, it's like, what is the vision for this? What do I want to make it? What do I want it to be so that when people come in, they're like, that's the best I've ever seen, or that's the best greeter, or that's the best children's worker, or whatever it is. You need to have that vision. When you can say, okay, man, when I come to church and I'm in charge of this, I'm going to do this, and it's going to be the best that anybody's ever seen. It's called excellence. And we strive for excellence, but we don't hold ourselves to it. We look at it and say, we're going to do the best that we can. We're going to, to be the best that we can. But we don't say, well, I, I missed the mark. Now I have to disqualify myself. And so we look at church and say, okay, I have to have a vision for what I'm going to be doing in church. But we also look at what is the vision of church? What are we doing? We don't come here just to get, hang out and drink some cheap coffee. I mean, if you do, that's great. But I mean, you're it's not very good. It's just cheap coffee. I mean, it's like Maxwell House or Walmart brand. I mean, it's really, it's just cheap coffee. You can get better coffee somewhere else. I don't know. Ed makes pretty good coffee. And if you really want some good coffee, he can make it a 55-gallon drum for you. But, um, <laughs> but that's the thing is, w we don't come here just to drink coffee. How many of you guys drink coffee outside of here? Still not church. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Uh, <laughs> so, but, my, my, where I'm going with this is we don't gather just to gather. We don't gather just to hang out with each other. That is an excellent part of it, but we gather to worship God. We come to experience his presence. We should be experiencing his presence throughout the week and in moments with him and moments with other people, but we come together as a group of people, as a family of, of believers, and we say, you know, I want to gather together and be part of what God is doing. I want to be what, with these people that love me and they will give up their life for me. So like the church's vision is this, is to rebuild, restore, renew, to bring life. Isaiah 61, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. This is where God originally, this was 2008, and I was just like, God, what are you doing with Everything that is going on. What are you doing with, because we had youth group going on. We had all kinds of random other college age groups. And I don't know. I, I don't even remember. Jade and Mercy can probably tell you most of it. I don't even remember half of what was going on. It's been so long, but they're younger than me. They remember that stuff. But we had so much going on and we we're like, okay, these people are getting married. These people are starting to, like people that were like getting out of high school were like, all of a sudden, like, oh, they're college age. What do you do with a bunch of 20-some-year-olds when you don't have a church? And this, in, the, in 2008, I was like, okay, God, we're, we're getting people graduating. I'm like, God, but we, there needs to be something that's going on here, and it needs to have a clear, concise uh, direction and purpose and, and mission. And so I started to, to just to pray and to, to seek God and said, God, what do, you, what do you want? What are you doing here? We had no name. It was just the Richards House or Matt and Sarah's house, or whatever they call it. The Richards residence, yeah. <laughs> but I started to, to pray, and God just really kind of, I was just reading, and God really 
gave me this. And in the New Living Translation, Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 4, says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. And this is, this is the prophetic word that Jesus fulfilled in the New Testament. It says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, and the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to con- comfort the brokenhearted and proclaim the captives will be released and the prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn at this, t- at this time the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, they will be given the crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will repair the cities long destroyed, and they will revive them, though they have been deserted for many generations. And I was reading that, and I was like, God. And that last scripture stuck out, and I'm like, God, this is what you're doing. It was a revelation to me. I didn't, it wasn't a, like, this is what we're, you're going to do. It was what was happening what we were doing, we didn't even realize what we were doing until I read this scripture. And I read that. I just didn't read it in that translation, but I had an a NLT Bible laying around and I started reading it. And it was like God was, what God had shown us to do, he was now telling us what we were doing. It was, it was a revelation of what God had, had already had us do. And so our, our vision is to rebuild, restore, and renew, to bring life to people, to bring life to the places that have been long dead. And I'm not talking the cities. I'm not talking buildings. We're talking relationships. We're talking people. We're talking families. We're talking the relationship with God. That is, that is what God has called us to do. And I, I, said, I read that to Sarah, and she's just like, that's it. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. So our job, our mission, is to bring life to people. As Christians, our job is to bring life to people. And that's a, that's a, big, that's a big ball of stuff in, a little, in, a, in two words. To bring life. And really, what does that mean? That means that if you go back to Isaiah 61, it says that the sovereign Lord is upon you. He's anointed you to bring good news to the poor. What did Jesus say? He said, go out and preach the good news and make disciples of all nations. He sent you to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim the captives will be released and the prisoners will be free. When you proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, you're telling them you will be free, you will be released, you will be set free with him. To comfort those who mourn, I think so many times we, as a church, we get wrapped up in the, in the, the church. I mean, especially if you're, if you're not, if it's not just a Sunday and you're doing more and you're, you know, if you get involved in, in the day-to-day stuff, you get wrapped up in it. And I think so many times you can get wrapped up in serving and you can get wrapped up in, in volunteering for different things and, and going to different things. And, and, and the one thing that Sarah and I both said that when we said, we're, we're going to do this, is I don't want this place to be a place that's always packed. I don't want it to be a place that people are always at. I want it to be a place where people come and they get recharged, and you get filled up, and you get encouraged to go out and become the church and be what God has called us to be. Because in here, 
rarely will you proclaim the good news to those who are, lo- who are in captivity. Jesus, it, it, what Isaiah is saying and what Jesus confirmed was he's not here to, he, he wasn't there for the church to preach the good news to the church. The church knows the good news. It's our job to accept the good news and to follow the good news. But our job is also to release the good news. So if you look at, at our, our, what we as a church believe, sometimes it's a, little, it's a little weird at church. Sometimes there's hooping and hollering, and sometimes there's people getting hands laid on, and people are getting healed, and it's not normal. I don't want to be normal. I, I don't want... I, I, I struggle living in America and, and, and with church in America, and, and whoever's listening to this, I'm sorry, but I do. I struggle with church... Because what happens is, is this, is we get so consumed. We are consumers. We have microwaves. I don't want to wait five minutes for noodles. I want to wait one minute for noodles. And you push the button. And then there's 900 milligrams of sodium you're eating. Um, <laughs> get your ramen noodles. But we, we're, so, we're so consumeristic. We want, it, we want, to, we want th- that now, and we want to do it now, and we want to have everything now. But In Isaiah 61, it says that we'll be planted, we'll be like oaks planted along the river. I've ha- I had an oak tree that I planted, little oak tree, and planted off in the side of the, um, off the side of our property. Five years, it was this tall. It doesn't grow quickly. If you want a quick growing tree, you buy a pine tree, uh, a spruce tree, whatever. But we we're so we. S- become so consumeristic of I, I need um, my growth I have to be at this level at this time and God's like your growth is dependent on what what you do yes but we, we want to become th- this level at this time and God's like no your levels will come when your levels come your job is to, to work towards those but we become so consumeristic and well I need I need this type of this I need this type of class and I need this and I need this many small groups during the week and it's like those are great Here's the thing is, we're not going to facilitate those. We have some general things that we, we do. We have our, our Sunday service. We have our youth, which is outreach. And if you guys have never seen what is there, I dare you just to stop by one uh, Monday and see what goes on. You might get scared and you might not come back. <laughs> you might run, I'm just saying. But you will be surprised what happens there. And how many kids are getting ministered to? It is not youth group. It is outreach. The kids that are at church call it youth group. Because for them it is. But for the rest of the kids in the community, it is an outreach because they need Jesus just like their parents need Jesus. So we have to to look at it and say, okay, God... I cannot be consumeristic. I have to say, okay, God, what, what do you want me to do? I'm coming to church. I, I'm, I'm following you. But it is our job to facilitate outside of the Sunday. It is our job to facilitate. We have our connects, and we all get together, and we have fun, and we, we eat food together. But it is our job to do Bible studies. It is our job to do discipleship. You know, you, we'll have classes, but if we get so focused on coming to church and doing church, we forget what it's like to be outside of these walls. 
and we get so bogged down with doing what we think is, is the, the great thing that well, all we're doing is we're, we're building up a foundation with nothing that does anything. It just keeps building up and building up and building up, and eventually no one can reach it. And so we have to look at it and say, okay, our foundation is this. God is good. James 1, 17 says this. says, whatever is good and perfect gift coming from now on, to us from God our Father who created all excuse me, all the lights in heaven he never changes or never casts a shifting shadow we have to look and say okay God is good this is what we know if you don't know that start to read about it because I, I believe that, that I remember growing up and it was it was hellfire and brimstone and, and repent for the day of, of reckoning is coming and, and God's wrath is going to be poured out on us and and that's actually not scriptural because if you really look at it, um, Jesus, God poured out all his wrath and judgment on Jesus. So we have to look and say God is good and this is what we believe. God is good and he is a good God and he will give us good things and he wants us to be healed and he wants us to prosper and he wants us to have a good life. And through knowing that, we know that nothing is impossible. When we know that God is good, we know nothing is impossible. We know that when we lay hands on people, they're going to get healed. When we pray for the sick, they're going to recover. When we pray for finances, finances are going to work out. When we pray for marriages and we pray for relationships and we pray for whatever, it's going to work because we know God is good and he listens to what we say. I used the scripture last week and I'm going to use it again because I like it. Mark eleven twenty four says, I tell you, you can pray for anything. Say that, anything. anything. You can pray for anything. And if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. Yeah. So here's the thing is, when we, believe, when we pray for something, we don't think, well, you know, God, that would be nice if that happened. <laughs> he wants us to come boldly to him with, with faith and say, you know what, I'm praying for this. I'm believing for this, and God, it's going to happen. We don't just say, I would not get up here like I did last week and say, okay, there's this person's got this, 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 there's a knee, there's a thumb, there's whatever, and we're just going to hope that God heals you. No, that's not faith. That's that's a a hope that maybe he'll show up, maybe he'll listen to us. No, we, we pray in expectation that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. Am I right? All right. Mal believes that. All right. But nothing is impossible. And, and I think we have to look at it and say, okay, if nothing is impossible with God, then what are we doing with what we have? And I, I believe, I, I look at our church, God has blessed us so much in, in the way of finances. For the size that we are, God has blessed us with the ability to reach people and to do missions and to do outreach and to do a lot of things that most places can't do. And I believe that we need to look at Acts and say, how were they and how do we relate to them and how do we live the lifestyle like they lived? So in Acts 2, 42 through 47, it says this. It says, all believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Fellowship. Get together with people. It's good. Sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to pray. A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. 
And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together in the temple each day and met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising God and enjoying goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So I believe that nothing is impossible with God. Then we need to be generous people. I believe you guys are. I, we, we know you guys are generous people. We need to be generous with what we have. And I'm not talking, well, I'm not talking the tithe. The tithe is between you and God. I'm talking with our life, everything. You know, it says, no greater love does a man have than to lay his life down for a friend. And I'm not talking like your entire, I'm not talking like your life and death life. I'm talking about what can you lay down for the friend. It says they sold their property, they sold their, their belongings to take care of the other people around them. And I think generosity is, it, I'm not, this is not part of salvation, but I believe it's a, a very, very um, strong character or trademark of salvation is when someone is born again, they become generous. And, and I, 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 I see that and it, it, they're willing to sacrifice of their own. They're willing to, to give up some of their own because they realize what they have and what they've received and what they, other, what they want other people to have and receive. You guys you understand that? Does that make sense? So we look at it and say generosity is part of nothing is impossible with God. If nothing is impossible with God, that means then he can ask me to give up this and he's still going to provide for my needs. We can, we can look and say, well, you know, well, I have this and I have this and I have this and, and if I can get rid of it, then I won't have it and then I need more. And, but I think when we start to look at, at everything we have, we, you know, we hold our phones and we, we have our, our cars and everything like that and it's like, you know what, when that goes away, what do you have? Why do you, why do we, why is the church in Asia growing so quickly? Because they don't have anything. They don't have a meeting, they don't have a a building they go to every week. They meet from house to house. They give each other of what they have. They have joy because they're a persecuted church. We get so comfortable, well, I just come to church and this is what I do and I have my coffee every week and I have my, you know, and I sit in my seat and it becomes a routine instead of a joy to get up and say, you know what, man, I don't know what's going to happen today. I, those, the Chinese believers, I, I look at them and say, they don't know if one day they're going to be arrested, but they get up every day that they can and go to church. So they're generous with what they have. They open their homes. They, they give of the things they have freely to be able to take care of each other. So when we believe that God will, all things are possible with God, then if we give of ourselves generously, do you not think that he will generously give back to you? Right? It says give and it shall be given. 
It doesn't have to be that, that little bucket that comes by every week. He's saying give and it will be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken over, and given back to you. So we have to be generous because God was generous. We have to also look and say, okay, what do we believe? We believe the blood of Jesus pays for everything. Everything we will ever need or have was dealt with on the cross. So we have to come into a place of trusting him for that. Our, our, I think so many times we drag ourselves back into the old man and into sin and we have issues. But the blood of Jesus paid for everything. Salvation is the only way to Jesus. I know that's not really popular these days. You know, it's kind of like whatever thing up there you believe in, it doesn't work that way. I'm sorry, but uh, Acts 4, 11 through 12 says, For Jesus is the one referred to in scriptures, where it says the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven in which we might be saved. It's pretty clear. Salvation only comes from a, a relationship of submitting our lives to Jesus, and that is the only way. Jesus paid for it all, the sins of our past, the sins of our future. He's paid for it all. So don't discount what he does by holding on to what you've done. God created us to be significant and to be people that have significance and give significance. So we have to serve him well. Romans 5a says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Think about it. He gave everything while we still didn't want it. It wasn't like we were begging for, oh, we need salvation. Please give it to us. Oh, yep, I, I think I got something. I'll, I'll send it down to you. While we were rejecting God, he sent his son to come down and to, to, to die for us, to be sin for us. And he said, you know what? By the way, you guys rejected me but I'm going to send you something that, that you can have that will make a way back. We are significant. God asks us to, to, to serve him, to surrender our lives to him. I, I think so many times people get born again, and they, but they don't really understand what being born again means. It means laying your life down. It means surrendering your life over to Christ. And we, we forget sometimes that it, by being born again, that means we have to die to ourselves. That, we mean, that means we have to, to live for Christ and not what we want, it's what he wants. What Jesus said, he was the perfect example of a servant. He said, Father, it's not your will. It's not, I don't want to go to this cross. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and, he, and he's, he's in turmoil, and he's in agony. And he says, it's not my will. It's not what I want. It's not what I want to do because I don't really want to do this. But I'm going to submit myself over to you. It's not what I want. It's your will and what you want. And I will submit myself over to you. We serve a good God and he asks us to serve the people around us. He's asking us to serve and to give of ourselves like Jesus gave of himself to the people around us. Not just come to church. 
You don't have to invite people to church to love them and to serve them and to treat them like Christ would treat them. Most people you ask to come to church probably won't come to church. I'm just saying. There might be, might be some, but most people aren't, aren't, aren't going to do that. We live in a different age. We don't live in the, in the 60s and 70s where church was kind of a staple. You just went because that's what your family did. We live in a time where we have to step out of what we do here and say, how do I reach people? How do I reach my neighbor? How do I reach my coworkers with the love of God and, and lead them to him without saying, well, you should come to church with me. And like, I barely know you. We've talked about God once and now you want me to come to church with you. They need to see a lifestyle of, of seriousness that you're dedicated to what, what you say you're dedicated to. They need to see that what you say you are, you actually are. They, they, the whole invite you to church and then the next week they're like, I don't really know this person that well and their life, they say they're a Christian. Like Sarah and I were watching some TV show and some stupid TV show and she wanted to watch it. And I'm just, I was laying in bed and I didn't feel like getting up so I was just laying there watching it too. Um, but these two people are talking and, she's, and they're like, they're both like, well, I just want to raise my kid as a Christian and that's like, and then they're like, blankety blank, that's so awesome. I'm like, What? It just didn't make sense to me. Like, they're like, oh, I want to raise my kid in church. And then they're just swearing off the, off the hinge. And I'm like, okay. Um, I was just, it didn't make sense. And I'm like, but we have to, we can't be like that. We have to, our life has to be the same life that we live here and at home, at work as in at home. But we, we try to go out and we try to, well, I think you should come to church with me. It'll be good for your family. Um, and... No, I, we do. We get this weird air about us and like, you should come to church with me. It really changed my life, so you should. Uh... We try to sell it. Why do we have to sell it? They need to experience God. Once you experience Jesus and you experience his salvation and, and what, he, what and who he is, churches, you don't have to sell. It's easy. They want to come because they've met Jesus. When you really meet Jesus, your life will change and you'll want to come to church and you'll want to become part of the body and you'll want to be generous and you'll want to give and you'll want to see your community changed. But if you don't mean meet Jesus, you'll come to church and it'll get old and it'll get boring and you'll be like, well, I'm just really not into church. The whole God thing's cool. It makes me feel good um, every now and then when I need it. But I don't. There's nothing that will make you put an anchor down and say, this is my people this is who I'm going to fight with. This is who I'm going to fight for. These are who I'm going to support. But we don't. We just, like, well, you know, I'm just easy and I'm, it's easy to go. People have asked us, you don't have membership in your church? I said, no. I said, a piece of paper is not going to keep people from coming and going. It's really not. In our world, we've lost the ability to have honor in a lot of ways. I remember as a kid, my parents were members of the Baptist church that we went to, and they had their, their meeting. And if you left the, if you left the, yeah, they had their card. Um, <laughs> said Tim Richards, Baptist card. No, just kidding. Um, but it was, uh, you, if you left the church, you went to the elders, and you talked to them. And that's how, and then you left the church, and they, and they ripped up your membership. And <laughs> But no, it's, it sounds weird, but. And, and people are like, you don't have membership? I'm like, no, I'm not going to make people sign a piece of paper to come and attend our church, or if they want to leave, if I hold up that piece of paper, they're going to look at me and go, that's not going to stop me. It's a piece of paper. It's about honor. 
It's about, it's about a heart attachment to our God, and it's a heart attachment to the people in this place. Right. Saying, I'm going to fight with you. We're going to fight together. We're going to do, do life together. But we have to look and say, you know what? This is not it. This is us coming together and joining fellowship and then going and saying, what am I going to bring outside of this place? What am I going to do when I leave this place? What am I going to say when I leave this place? So I think as we, we understand who God is, we understand where our church is going, what we're doing, what we believe in. If you guys want to read this information, this is the stuff that is on our website. This is what we believe. This is what, I'm just expounding on this. I w- didn't put all this because nobody wants to read a sermon when they go to our mission statement and belief and vision. Um, but I put this, uh, the basics are on our website for you guys to read because you guys need to understand what, what we believe, what we're doing, what God is calling us to do. I think if you've been here more than six weeks or six months, you'll understand what God is doing. You'll understand that sometimes it doesn't look the easiest, but God is doing good things. Sometimes it's not always the best, but God is doing good things. Sometimes it's not the easiest, but God is doing good things. So we have to be people who know how to serve. And I don't mean in here, oh, I'm serving in my little ministry area or whatever we're doing. I mean, serve others. Don't just invite them to church. Serve them well so they want to come to church. Serve them well so they see Jesus and they're like, I don't know what it is about your life. I don't know why you have so much joy. I don't know why you have so much peace. I don't know, understand why you, every time you are sick, you get well quick. Every time you've been hurt, you come back the next day or you come back a couple days later and you're completely fine. Make them wonder why God is doing what he's doing. And that will draw people in. Let's pray.